0: We are continuing our series in First John. So if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow along, we'll be back at, toward the back of your Bible in First uh, in John. And um, we were moving through chapter 2 last week, and last week John uh, confirmed to us uh, that his audience knew the gospel. He said they had experienced it, they knew it, they had heard it. It wasn't something that was new to them, but it was a gospel message that God had presented clearly to them. And, and yet there was this uh, prideful propaganda that the Gnostics were uh, trying to lure some of them away from the truth with. Uh, if you'll remember, we talked about this, but the Gnostics believed that they had some secret knowledge that nobody else possessed, and that if you wanted to know God and if you wanted to walk with God, that you needed the the secret key that they held. They taught some weird things. They taught the separation of the the spirit and the flesh, and they said that because of that, Jesus couldn't be fully God and yet take on flesh because for them flesh was evil and and the spirit was all good. And so for Jesus to take on flesh would have been for him to be corrupted. And so they taught that. So they they distinguished between the spirit and and the, the flesh. What they also did, though, was to say that because the spirit and the flesh were separate, that your spirit could be pure and could walk with God and your flesh could indulge in any sin that you wanted. And so they taught this weird dualism that was going on, this weird uh, dichotomy to where, you know, I can say, man, I love God with all my heart and and I can go and do anything sinful that I want to do. And John's trying to say to his church and to his people, that's simply not true. And so today he picks up kind of where he left off, and, and, uh, and, and he's writing to these people who have kind of departed from the truth, or they're at least thinking about departing from the truth, and and, and this propaganda that these uh, these Gnostics are teaching is, is beginning to look appealing to some of them. I mean, who wouldn't want the extra knowledge? Who wouldn't want this extra step to be closer to God? And so the way that they painted it was to look down their nose at everybody else and say, well bless your little heart, one day you'll be smart like me. One day you'll get the insight and you'll just be walking with God the way that I walk with God. And they made these believers feel inferior because they didn't have this secret knowledge that these guys had. But like the believers in Rome who had begun to love the creation and the stuff that they could see more than the creator and the one that they couldn't see, They were trusting more of what their eyes could see and and what their intellect could come up with than they were the revealed truth of God that had been known since the beginning of time. And so they they claimed that that there was this ability to be at home with God and, 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 and in fellowship with God and yet just living like the devil. And John says that's just not possible. And so in 1 John Chapter two. We're only going to look at three verses today, verses 15, 16, and seventeen. But there is a whole lot packed into these verses that, that literally ties together from the, the, the Garden of Eden all the way up through our day and our time. And so I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at these three verses, unpacking them a little bit, and seeing how they tie in. So let's just start by reading this. Uh, in first John chapter two, uh, verse fifteen, John saying to his church, he says, Listen, do not love the world talking about the world's system, the world's ways, or the things in the world, the stuff of the world. So don't love and and buy into and give your heart to the, the ways of this world, and don't give your heart and set your heart on the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have it both ways, John says. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, And the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world, he says, is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Now, I said this ties in all the way back to the book of Genesis. And if you want to look there real quick, in Genesis chapter 3, When we go back to the garden and we go back to Satan's temptation of Eve, we we see some things beginning to happen there that fits the same description that's here. here. Here's what's amazing to me. And maybe it'll be as amazing to you. The same tactics that Satan used in the Garden of Eden, he used with Jesus in the wilderness and he uses with us today. As I go through this, you're going to see this this intertwining of these same three things that Satan tries to do. He did it in the garden with Eve, he did it with Jesus, and now he does it with with Jesus' followers. And and what's amazing to me is that his tactics hasn't changed. But but what's even more amazing is that we hadn't caught on. That that we still fall for the same three traps. We've looked at this for thousands of years. And yet, we still fall victim to it. So let's look at it today. Let's see how we can fall victim to these things if we're not careful. And so we'll take what, what, what happened in the garden. We'll take what happened with Jesus. We'll take what happens here in the book of John. And then we'll go, you know what, what can we learn from this? And how can we respond in a way that's better? So let's take a minute and look at this. Genesis chapter 3, the first six verses. Uh, this is the temptation of Adam and Eve. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, Is that what God said? Did God tell them they couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? No. So what's Satan doing? He's, he's starting to sow some seeds of doubt by throwing in a few extra thoughts and kind of twisting what God began to say. And, and so the woman says to the serpent, well, we can eat. Of, of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent says to the woman, well, you'll not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Look at what was appealing to to Eve here in this, in this passage. So Satan begins to sow these seeds of doubt, these seeds of discontent, these seeds of can you really trust God or is God holding out on you? And he begins to sow those seeds. But, but look what it was in verse 6. It says, So when the woman, what? Saw that the tree was good for food. The desire of her flesh for that food. It was a delight to the eyes, there's the eyes that we read about in 1 John. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. There is the pride. All three things right here in the garden with Eve. He, he, he says in 1 John that, 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 that the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. Here we see the, des, the, 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 the desire of the flesh. We see the desire of the eyes. And then we see the pride of life. I can be wise. I can be wise. God knows that you will will know things that you've never known before. that, That God knows that your eyes will be open. That you will be like God. And you will know good and evil. Think about this. Satan is selling them something that they don't even want. All that they've known up to this point in the garden is what? Good. And he says, oh, but you're missing something. Really? What are we missing? Oh, you're missing something that, 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 that you just have never, ever known. Well, what is it? Oh, it's just this, this thing. It's, don't worry about it. It's just you're missing out. And, and, and they make you think that you're missing something that, that you just can't live without. It's what they do on commercials today. They try to get you to spend money that you don't have on stuff that you don't need. In fact, things that you didn't even know that you needed until you saw their commercial. And and that's what Satan does here. He comes in and he begins to, to 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 appeal to her flesh, to appeal to her eyes, and then to appeal to this pride you could be like God. And he begins to appeal to those things in her in her life. And and he's hitting on some buttons here that are common to all of us. And so he says, did, did God actually say you can't eat from any tree? And she says, well, No, but he's sowing these subtle seeds of doubt, and he's questioning God's goodness. He puts you here in the midst of all this. Why? So that you could just be tempted? So that you could look at it every day and go, oh, man, my mouth is watering, and I would just love a piece of that fruit. But So he caters to her flesh. She corrects him and says, no, no, God doesn't say none of the fruit, just not this one fruit. Well, God's not telling you the truth. If you're saying that God said you're going to die, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. God is lying. In fact, God's lying to keep you from becoming like him. If you eat this fruit, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like God. And you are going to know good and evil. But up to that point, they had only known good. Who wants to know evil? But he convinced them that they did because they were missing something. Something that God had actually protected them from. And they were missing it. He's saying God's holding out on you. God is, is suppressing your, your full potential. There is so much more out there that you don't even know about. And so for Eve, she saw the, the fruit. And she saw that it was good for food. That it was a delight to the eyes. And it was desirable to make her wise. There's the three things, the flesh, the eyes, and the pride. The flesh, the eyes, and the heart. And he, he tapped on those three things. If we look in Luke chapter 4, we're going to see that he tries the same thing with Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, the first 12 verses, Jesus has just finished his baptism. And it says, And Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And, and when they were ended, he was hungry, and the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, just command this stone to become bread. In other words, you can feed your flesh. you got to be hungry, Jesus. It's been 40 days without food. So if you really are this all-powerful God that, well, that Satan knew that he was, All you got to do, I tell you what, just feed your flesh. Just turn this little stone into a piece of bread, and and you can munch down and have a great lunch. But Jesus answered to him, and it's written, Man shall not live by bread alone. So the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you, Jesus, I will give all this authority and their glory. And here's going to lie. For it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him. It is written, again, quoting scripture, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So then he took him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written that he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. Now Satan's quoting scripture. (coughs) He's misquoting it, but he's quoting it. And he says, And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so here we see these same three type temptations with Jesus. Satan shows up first of all, and and, in verses 3 and in verse 9, he issues a challenge to Jesus, and he's he's aiming at his pride. is what he's trying to do, and he's saying, If you really are the Son of God. You ever had somebody bow up against you? If you really are who you think you are. Prove it, and most of us would say, "Well, all right, I'll prove it. I'll show you who's the boss." If you are, it's a challenge. He's not asking a question. He's he's making a challenge. He's saying, "I'm, I'm challenging you to prove yourself," or "I'm challenging you to prove God's character." Satan is saying, "I don't believe you," and Jesus says, "No pun intended." I'm not going to bite. And I'm not going to fall for that. You say, turn it to, to bread, take a bite. I say, I'm not going to bite. You say, jump off the temple and, and, and the angels will catch you. I'm not going to fall for that. Look at what he says to Jesus here. Look at these three temptations. If you are the Son of God, feed your flesh. Make this stone into a, a loaf of bread. And feed your flesh. When that didn't work, he takes him up and shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he says, I'll give you all the authority, all the glory, all of this. If you will just fall down and worship me, I'll make it all yours. He's appealing to what Jesus can see. Look at all the nations. It'll all be yours, Jesus. All all you got to do is just have this subtle shift of heart Stop worshiping God and start worshiping me. Jesus experiences this third temptation where he, he takes him to the temple and says, man, just jump off. Scripture says, doesn't it? Doesn't it say that, that he will guard you, protect you, that he will catch you. Prove yourself to the world. Show your power to the world. Work your magic, Jesus, and let the crowd see who you are. The pinnacle of the temple, there would have been people all in the courtyards, everywhere around there, and if Jesus would have just jumped off and let the angels catch him and set him softly on the ground, wouldn't the crowds have been amazed and wouldn't they have come and, and wouldn't they have wanted to make him their king? Here's the shortcut that Satan's offering. I can give you a shortcut to becoming the king that you claim you are. He's appealing to his flesh, to his eyes, to his pride, just like he did with Eve. The same thing that he says here in 1 John. He says, It's the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says, But these things are not from the Father, they are from the world. And so Satan's tactics and his methods have not changed. He wants to plant these seeds of doubt inside of us. He wants to to create this discontent that there's something missing that, that I don't yet have, that's out there, that if I just compromise myself, I can have it. And if we are going to overcome the temptations that Satan throws our way, they're going to be in these same three categories. He's going to appeal to our flesh. These desires that are within us, some of these desires are legitimate desires. Jesus' desire to eat food was a legitimate desire. There's nothing wrong with the the desire to want to eat food after you've gone without it for a while. There's nothing sinful about the desire to want to eat. But what he was trying to do was to get him to fulfill a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. And Satan is a master of that, saying, well... You, you deserve this. You ought to have this. If, if God loved you, he would give you this. So just go ahead. And he tries to get us to fulfill a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. This happens in marriages where there is sexual desire, which is a God-given thing. And Satan tries to get us to fulfill that desire in an illegitimate, ungodly way. The desire to work is a God-given desire that He's placed within us to want to be able to work with our hands, to be able to work and to provide for our families. But then He takes that and wants us to do it in an illegitimate way, to compromise at work or to become a workaholic or to overdo or to put more emphasis on that stuff than we ought to. It's always Him wanting to take those things and to go to an extreme So it's not always a a sinful desire. Sometimes it's a God-given, legitimate desire that we are trying to fulfill in an illegitimate way. So how do we overcome these things? How do we keep from becoming victims of these same three traps that have been here since the Garden of Eden? I think the first thing that's got to happen is that we we need to to take note of, of the condition that Jesus was in as this happened. The Scripture says that He was filled with the Spirit. If I'm going to be successful when temptation comes, I need to be under the Spirit's control and not under my own. I need to be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit and not the power of Rob. I need to try to realize that my, my struggle is not against just flesh and blood, but it's against these principalities and powers of darkness. And I have got to be filled with God's Spirit if I'm going to, to be able to succeed that. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that's how He was able to succeed. That's how He was able to overcome these temptations, was that He was in step and in tune with the Father. He had spent 40 days in the presence of God, drawing strength and direction and purpose and all those things that He was going to need in order to overcome those those temptations and if we are going to walk in the obedience to god's word then we've got to be filled with the holy spirit and if i'm filled with the holy spirit then i have to be emptied of myself i can't be filled with both in order for god to fill me and to saturate me he's got to drain me of myself and he's got to get me beyond myself So Jesus, first of all, was filled with the Spirit. The second thing is that Jesus was led by the Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. Now listen, he was led into the wilderness away from everybody else, into the presence of God where Jesus could find the perspective and the power and all that he needed in order to be able to do what he was about to do. We need to be fully surrendered, full of the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, and obedient to the Spirit. We need to be familiar with the Spirit's voice so that when Satan shows up, and, and and gives us a counter view or a counter opinion or counter directives that we recognize his stuff as a lie next week we'll come back and talk or not next week because daniel's gonna preach next week but the following week we'll come back and we'll talk about this danger of the antichrist that we're coming in the in the in the the church and trying to infiltrate the church with lies and stuff and and the way to to identify the antichrist and and those messages that come alongside of that is to be so familiar with the spirit's voice that we recognize the lie when it's presented this is why it's so important guys that we don't just get our spiritual food in 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 an hour on sunday but that we're in god's word daily letting the word of god sink in and soak in and us become so familiar with the word of god that when a lie comes we go no no that's not what god said But it's not enough just to know the difference. We've got to be committed to the truth. Eve knew the difference. Satan says, did God say you can't eat of any of these truths? No, 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 that's not what God said. She knew the truth. She knew exactly what God had said. But she let her heart be led away. So Jesus was full of the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. And I want you to notice his response when he is tempted by by Satan. He says, the first one is, if you're the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And here's what Jesus says in in, in verse 4. I'm not living for the stuff of this world. That's not why I'm here. Man does not live by bread alone. This worldly stuff is not what feeds my soul. It's not what's most important to me. It's not, when it's time for me to eat, God's going to provide that. God's going to meet my my legitimate need in a legitimate way. But until then, I'm content just to be with the Lord because you know what? I'm, I'm not living for the stuff of this world. I'm living for so much more. I'm living to do the will of God. And that supersedes any kind of physical desire. Listen, guys, until we allow our fleshly desires to take a back seat to our godly desires we will never be victorious over sin until we decide that what God offers us is so much better than what this world offers us. We will constantly be in battle day by day by day going, do I take the world or do I take Jesus? Do I, do I walk with this? Or do? And we'll constantly begin to weigh those things out and say, well, let me see which one's more beneficial for me today. Do I give into my flesh or do I follow the Spirit? And I really believe that the only way that we're going to have victory in those areas is for God to capture our hearts. It's got to start in the heart. It it, it doesn't just start here. Eve had this. She knew what Scripture said. But man, her heart went the opposite direction. Satan came and sowed those seeds of discontent, those seeds of doubt. Did God really say, does God really love you? Is God holding back from you? Doesn't this plan sound better than God's plan? And she let that doubt begin to sway her. And I don't know about you, but it's very easy for me to convince myself that my way's better. That, you know, surely God will understand. Surely, I mean, he couldn't have meant it that way. Maybe he, and we just try to rationalize our our sin. But he says here, I'm not living for that stuff. That's his answer to the first temptation. The second temptation comes. And Satan shows him all the nations. He says, I'll give it all to you. It's mine, I can give it to you. That was a lie, but Satan always promises what he can't deliver, right? You understand that. He always promises stuff he can't deliver. And here he is doing it again. I'll give it all to you. If you will just worship me, it'll all be yours. And what was Jesus' response? There is only one worthy of my worship. And it's not you. There is only one that I will serve. I will not settle or I will not serve a lesser God. You know why? Because I know the one true God. The third temptation that Jesus faces here is this temptation. If you just throw yourself down, the angels will catch you. And God will prove to the world that he loves you. And here's Jesus' response. God has nothing more to prove to me. Nothing more. I know him and I know his love. And I I tell you what, he will prove his love for me, not by catching me as I fall off the temple, but by resurrecting me after you try to kill me. God will have the final word and and God's glory will come and and, and God will display for the world in his time and in his way that he was right and that you were wrong. And sometimes, guys, that's the hardest thing for us to do is to, to give God time to do what God wants to do to give God time that he will get the glory and we won't get the glory. You see, it would have been easy for Jesus to say, you know what, these crowds will love me. This will be great. I can do this. And, and just, and let God catch him. It would be easy for Jesus to say, you know what, God is sovereign and I can't die till God says I'm going to die. I'm just going to jump and God will catch me because it's not my time. And by doing that, man, the world will know that I am somebody special. But Jesus knew that he wasn't here to bring glory to himself. He was here to bring glory to God. And the way that we bring glory to God is through obedience and through surrender. And so he says to him, God's got nothing to prove to me. And, and, oh, by the way, Satan, I've got nothing to prove to you. I could jump off the temple. The angels could catch me. They could lower me down, and you still wouldn't believe. I'm not going to bite. I'm not going to fall for that. God's plan and God's timing are perfect. And, And there's no shortcuts that are needed. I am here to glorify God, not to get God to glorify me. I wish we could learn that. God doesn't exist to glorify us. We exist to glorify him. And Jesus says, that's why I'm here, to glorify the Lord. So I'm going to follow his plan, not yours, not mine, but his. And so Jesus is there. And he is, is with him, and he is, he is overcoming these temptations by, by relying upon Scripture, relying upon the truth of God's Word. So Jesus uses Scripture in the first two. Satan comes back and tries to twist it in the third one. And Jesus says, we're not going to go there. We're not going to do that. Let's go back to 1 John now, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2, where we started. Let's look at this, and let's see how John warns his readers of these same three temptations. He says, first of all, in verse 15, don't love the world or the things in the world. Don't love its ways, its methods, its wisdom. Don't, 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 don't fall for its shortcuts or its solutions or its sinfulness. Don't, don't love the world, its, its ways. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying don't love the people of the world, but don't you, don't you set your heart on the ways of this world. God's ways are different than man's ways. Don't set your heart on the ways of this world. And then he says, don't love the things that are of this world, the things in this world. It's, it's easy to buy into the ways of the world and say, okay, you gotta, you got you to go along to get along. You know, everybody else is doing it. I might as well. If, if I don't play the game, then I won't get ahead. And it's easy to begin to compromise in the ways of this world instead of standing on character and standing on truth. But then it's also just as easy to try to use legitimate ways to gain the stuff of this world. Thinking that somehow that stuff is going to make me happy. Somehow that stuff is going to bring me prestige or power or position. If I can just get more of this world's stuff, then then I will be okay. And to, to begin to think that our purpose here is just to accumulate stuff or to achieve some kind of status. Or to somehow get others to serve me. And that's not our purpose. We were made for so much more. We were made to serve our Savior, to glorify our God. And John's going to say, I can't set my heart on God and on anything else. We can't serve two masters. We will love the one and we will despise the other, Scripture says. So here's what Satan does. He comes along and he will offer me and he will offer you any kind of substitute that we will fall for. In order that we take our hearts off of God and move them to whatever that substitute is that he offers us. The substitute that you would fall for will be different than the substitute that I would fall for. But Satan knows me probably better than I know myself. He knows my temptations. He knows my my yearning of my heart. He knows those empty voids that remain inside of me that I'm trying to fill with the stuff of this world. And he keeps offering me this buffet of choices. And he says, I don't care which one you choose. They're all laced with poison. I don't care. Pick one, pick any, pick two, pick three. Have them all because they're all laced with poison and they will all lead you to death. So I don't care which one you pick. Just pick one. You don't like chocolate? I'll give you vanilla. You don't like vanilla? I'll give you cherry vanilla. You pick what you want because it doesn't matter to me. Everything that Satan offers us has been laced with poison. But man, he dresses it up good and he makes it look so inviting. And he says, I'll offer you anything you want. Anything you want. If you'll just yield yourself to me. Don't love this world. Or the things in this world. So Satan offers us all that is in the world. Look, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then he gives us these three categories. And they're not exclusive, they're not exhaustive, but, but they're, they're representative of these temptations that come our way. All that is in the world is not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away, it's dying. So look what he says here. He says, Satan's going to offer us all that's in the world hoping that at least one of these things will be appealing enough to us that we will replace God with this thing. So what he hopes is that we will fill this legitimate need with some kind of forbidden fruit. The subtle lies that lead us to question God's goodness. The lies that tell us that we deserve something bigger, better, Something longer lasting that we deserve something more than what God has given to us, and He, you know, he, he says, "Surely God would not want you going without that, and a good God would not withhold this from you." We look at our lives, and sometimes bad things happen, and we ask the question, "Why me?" And it's easy to let that seed begin to grow to the point that we begin to doubt the goodness of God. And I hope that for as long as I live, i never forget the words that Thomas spoke, Diana. When he stood up here and he said, I'm not angry. How could I be mad at a God who died on a cross for me? That's the man saying, you know what, I'm at peace with wherever God takes this and whatever God does. But Satan wants us to question God. He will use our fleshly desires to convince us that we deserve anything that we want. He will twist Scripture to convince you that if you just rub the magic lamp, you can ask God and get anything that you want knowing that when you don't, you will be disappointed and angry with God. Why do you think those lies are allowed to spread? Why do you, what do you think fuels all of that stuff? In fact, here's what Satan will do, is that he will actually give you some of those things and get you to believe that lie so that when you ask for the thing that you really need most and you don't get that, you'll curse God. Small seeds that bring about big discontent. Satan will say to you, trust your heart. Trust your own judgment, not what God said. Look, this is, this is obvious. Look, trust what you can see and not just what God says. It's what he did to Eve. It's what he tried to do with Jesus. So Satan tries to convince us to live for what we can see instead of for the one who is unseen. He promises things that he cannot and he will not ever deliver. And he says, this can all be yours. All you have to do is just shift your heart a little bit. Stop serving the unseen and I will give you all that you can see. The sky is the limit for you. Don't you want all of this? Don't, don't you, don't you think, think about all that you could do if this was just yours? How many times have we tried to justify ourselves with that? If I could just get this, just think what I could do for the kingdom. And it's nothing more than a selfish desire coated in some kind of religious theme. And Satan tries that with us. He says, my offer is better than God's offer. All you need is one small shift, and it can all be yours. Or the third thing that he does is this pride of life. I am somebody. Let me prove it to the world. Satan always offers us a shortcut. Let me help you help God, he says. I can make you great. And if you're great, then you can make God great. Newsflash. (laughs) God doesn't need me or you to make him great. He is great. He He is the greatest of all. We use this term, the goat now, the greatest of all times. Listen, guys, there's not a man worthy of that title. Only God. Only God. So we are here to glorify God by fully surrendering to him, by surrendering to his ways, by loving and trusting his word, and by obeying him fully. God doesn't exist to make me known. I exist to make him known to the world through my testimony of how he has blessed me. And and here's what's got to happen, though is that we've got to take our eyes off of what other people have, what this world is chasing, and put our eyes back on what God has already provided for us. You know when we grow the most discontent? When we're looking around at what everybody else has got. Oh, you've got that phone, that TV, that, this, that car, that house, that... Oh, you must be somebody. And we let our stuff define us instead of using our stuff to bring glory to God. So Satan's always offering this shortcut. And why is it so critical that we get this right? And why is it so critical that John's addressing this to his church, to his friends, to his his, his brothers and sisters in Christ? And here's the reason. He says, if you buy that lie and you go after these worthless things, guess what's going to happen to all this stuff of the world? It's going to be gone. And everything that you've invested all of your time and your energy and your money and your resources in, it's going to go. And it's going to be no more. Paul addresses that. And he says, man, it's like these guys that escape as, as, as escaping through the fire with just the shirt on their back. And believers do that. We, we chase after the things that really won't last. And, and John's trying to say to his believers, don't you dare buy that lie. Don't you bear, dare spend your life chasing after this secret knowledge that you can attain and somehow become bigger and better. Don't you believe the lie that, that you can be right with God and still live like the devil. You can't do both. And this world and its lies and all of its stuff is passing away. But those of you that do the will of the Lord will abide forever. Those with their hearts set on the world are going to be devastated one day when all of that is gone. But those with their hearts set first and foremost upon the Lord will be fully satisfied in Him, abiding in Him and with Him forever. So, let's close with this. What should our response be when Satan shows up and tries these three things with us? What if he says, hey, listen, let me let you fulfill a legitimate need with an illegitimate method, an illegitimate way. What if we said to Satan, I'm not interested, I have no appetite for your forbidden fruit. Your fruit may be shiny on the outside, it is rotten on the inside. You ever bitten into a piece of fruit that looked great until you took that first bite? That's the fruit that Satan offers us. I have no appetite for that for forbidden fruit. You know why? Because I am satisfied with God. And I am satisfied with his perfect provision for me. What more could God do for you? What, what do you need that God has not provided? We need to learn to be content with what God's given us. Or we will constantly be looking to fulfill a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So when he shows up, we need to say, hey, I'm not interested. No appetite. Forbidden fruit. Second thing is that we ought to be able to say to Satan, I don't need your decaying deception. I don't need to set my eyes on the nation I just need to set my eyes on Christ. My goal is not to gain the world and to lose my soul, but my goal is to, to gain this, this thing that God has freely given to me called grace and salvation. That's what my heart is set on. My eyes are set upon Christ. My heart is filled with gratitude for all that He has already done for me. And third, When he says, let's prove to the world that you're who you say you are. And let's get God to prove that he really loves you. We can say to Satan, God has nothing more to prove to me. That was settled on the cross. And I've got nothing to prove to this world. You know why? Because this world doesn't define me. Jesus does. I know who I am in Christ. And he will reveal himself through me in his way, in his time. I cling to him. So let me close by asking you these couple questions. And I really wish that you would take some time and and legitimately think these through. First question is this. Am I I seeking to fulfill legitimate needs in illegitimate ways? Men, men, Are you seeking to fulfill a God-given sexual desire in a ungodly, forbidden way? Ladies, are there things in your life that you're seeking to fulfill? Emptiness inside of you that you're trying to fill in illegitimate ways. Second question. Who or what am I looking to to satisfy the longing of my soul? Who or what am I looking to to satisfy the longing of my soul? And and am I seeking self-glorification through the things I do? Or am I really, honestly, truthfully living for His glory alone? And finally, am I going to let God define me? Or am I going to leave that to the world? Am I going to let God define me? Or am I determined to allow the world to define me because who I choose to define me determines how I'm going to live my life so let's let God define us and 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 let's love the Lord with all of our heart soul mind and strength because when we love him we're going to obey him and when we obey him we're going to be satisfied in him and when we're satisfied in him we won't go looking anywhere else for those needs to be fulfilled let's pray